So we're in week two on our series going through the book of Acts. And we're now halfway through reading it together. That's crazy. This was a quick two weeks. Uh, we read chapters 8 through 14 this past week. So if you haven't been reading along with us today, you could read chapter 14 and then tomorrow 15 and just keep going from there. Uh, but it's it's been a fascinating study on the early church because Acts, as we learned last week, is the very beginning of the established church. And in fact, it's in our very DNA as a church. This is, we are part of that same church. This is very much their story, but it's also our story. And so what is the church but a Holy Spirit-empowered group of people that are built up and sent out by Jesus to do the mission of Jesus? We also talked about how the church is a family on mission. And so we asked last week, who are the people God's placed in your life that make up uh, your extended, your non-blood family, but your family on mission? And how are you cultivating deeper bonds with those people? Some of you made phone calls to some individuals so they could worship with us, for instance. Uh, and then others, uh, I know had sent out texts of encouragement to friends and things of that nature. So I'd love for you to share. Tell me, did any of you take a small step on that journey this past week? Did any of you reach out to anyone or um, write a card or send a text or make a phone call? Um, what is something that you did to take a small step on that journey this past week? Now, if you didn't do it, um, I'll let you feel guilty for a second, but then move past that guilt and, and give yourself grace. And I encourage you to do it right now. Yes, right now, while I'm talking, while I'm preaching, just multitask and send someone a text of encouragement. Uh, maybe wait on the phone call till after or <laughs> write a handwritten letter. Encourage someone today that God has placed in your life um, as your family on mission. And I think that would be really great. Now, where are we going today? What are we talking about today? Today, we're going to talk about an endlessly creative God who can take anything horrible, anything terrible, anything ugly or horrendous, and turn it into something beautiful. <laughs> I'd like to welcome you to uh, Extreme Makeover God Edition. <laughs> That's a really lame joke. Um, would it, have been, would it have been any lamer um, if, uh, if I said that joke, like, what, 15 years ago? Is that when Extreme Makeover was on? I hear it's back, though, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Is it any good? Anyone see it? I loved that show. Anyway, uh, you see, the reality is, honestly, we humans are complete suckers for these type of stories of transformation aren't we? You see a uh, fixer-upper take the worst house on the best block and transform it into something beautiful and covered with shiplap. Or any movie where there's this major transformation that occurs, and I'm not talking about Transformers because those movies are just, they're terrible, okay? I'm sorry if you like them, I don't. Each their own. Or those stories where, you know, the widow who has known nothing but loss for years finally finds meaning and purpose and belonging in a dear friendship. Or those tales of the scrappy underdog that no one ever believed in, and he finally gets a chance when the coach with his chiseled jaw and an 
intimidating stare, but a heart of gold sees something in him that no one else did. I think there's one out right now like that with Ben Affleck in it. And I think this is Ben Affleck's first coaching movie, but for whatever reason, it seems like the, the 20th. It just seems right. Anyway, transformation, it is beautiful. It's beautiful. Tales of transformation are so amazing. And in fact, they're, they're so unbelievable. They're hard to believe because they're so beautiful. But get this, our endlessly creative God can take anything, any circumstance or experience, any person, no matter their baggage, any type of heartache and turn it into something beautiful, something meaningful and something purposeful. And that's what we're talking about today. We're gonna to talk about two experiences we write about in Acts and one real world experience we're all navigating right now to see how God takes the broken and makes it beautiful. So the very first experience deals with Stephen. We read about Stephen this week in Acts and he was a, a disciple of Jesus. He boldly proclaimed the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that salvation is found only in him. He completely uh, uh, infuriates, that's a hard word to say, he angers the Jewish leaders so much with his passionate sermon and his defense of God that they stone him to death. To death. So we're going to look at part of that true story uh, in Acts 7. It's going to be Acts 7 around verse 54. I'll let you turn to that now if you would like. And we're going to hop around a little bit, but if you want to follow along, Acts 7, 54 is where we will begin. Hear the word of the Lord. At, so Stephen just finished with his, his sermon and proclaiming all those things. And then it says, when the members of the Sanhedrin, that's the Jewish leaders and council, heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. Have you ever been so furious you gnashed your teeth at someone? They must have been livid, livid if they were gnashing their teeth. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said. I see heaven open up, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So leaders believed to be blasphemy because they didn't believe Jesus was a Son of God or believe in the resurrection. So it says, at this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Saul, while well, he approved of their killing him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both women and women and put them in prison. What stands out to you in that passage? What, what emotions do you feel as you hear that? 
You see, Stephen dies for his faith. And as a result, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, they were so angry by his actions and the actions of the early church, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. That is the broken in this story. That is the ugly. That is the unfathomable, the unthinkable. That is terrible. Imagine you were a Christian, uh, part of that very beginning of the, the church, and that that's the part that uh, you're living. And when you're in that moment, after Stephen dies, and people are being dragged out of their homes, you cannot see how good will come from that darkness. You can't see it. You can't fathom how good will come from that experience. See, we as humans have this limited and earthly vantage point. We can only see what's right in front of us or what's happening around us. But God, God who exists outside of time, while at the same time travels with us through time, he has an eternal glance. He knows all and he can see all for all time. And so while we can see the church being scattered as an enormous blow to the mission of God, and if we were in that moment, it'd be very easy to lose hope. God can take anything and make it beautiful. Look at this glimpse of hope we get in just the next verse, 8 verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. God took the broken and he made it beautiful. His word spread to places that otherwise would have been slower in going to. It, the scattered took the love and light of Christ to places it had not yet reached. And that is indeed beautiful. Beautiful. You see, the reach of Christianity, it was spreading while the oppression of those in power was growing to the point that it scattered the church throughout all these areas. And you would think the church not being able to gather in large groups anymore uh, because of external forces outside of their control would just slow things to a crawl. But did the church stop? Did the mission stop? Did it even slow down? Not a chance. And look at us now. We are also that same church. We also can no longer gather in large groups because of external forces out of our control. But has our church stopped? Has the mission stopped? Have we even slowed down? I dare say, no, we haven't. We haven't. Not a chance. Because God uses these things for his good. God used the persecution and the dispersion of his people to expand his kingdom. So instead of being scattered, you could almost say those were seeds that were scattered, or indeed we were all being sent. The church was sent, each as missionaries to their appointed place, just like you and me. So this is the question, what beauty do you see happening in our church family as we are scattered and as we are sent to our homes to be digital missionaries and six feet distant missionaries to our homes and our neighbors? What beauty do you see happening in our church in this time? 
As you're pondering that, let's consider our second experience from Acts. Uh, in our reading this week, it's very closely intertwined with the first because we're talking about Saul. Saul who approved of Stephen's death. Saul who began to destroy the church. Destroyed the church. That's this term. He was destroying the church. He dragged, physically dragged women and men out of their homes to throw them in prison because they believed in Jesus. So let's look at what the text says in Acts 9, 1 through 2. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that is what the church was called in that time, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared, well, we'll stop there actually. So Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord and his disciples. He was deemed the destroyer of the church. That's the ugly, that is the awful truth, and that's the horrible circumstance that you would look at this man and say, what good can come from this? That is something and someone who truly seems unredeemable. And Paul would have been if not for an incredible God who can turn the ugly into something beautiful. So look at what it says here, three through six, nine, three through six. You know this story, but hear it like it's the first time you've heard it. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why? Do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asks. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So we, we know that God sends a disciple named Ananias to Saul and, and Saul's blinded from that light. He opens his eyes, he can't see anything. And he awaits, as God told him, he waits to hear from Jesus. So we pick up in verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. I do wonder if see, when it says, uh, so that you may see again, clearly again, means more than just physical sight. And I wonder, too, regaining his strength is more than just his own strength, but that Holy Spirit strength he has now received. So Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, disciples he was once seeking out to destroy. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc 
in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Thanks be to God. Saul, he is to be renamed Paul. And no one, no one expected his life to turn so radically. Except God. God did. See, if God can defeat death, God can do anything, and he can redeem any situation, any person, and work it together for the good of those who love and trust him. So let's look at our real life situation right here, right now. Right now, our world, it's cloaked in darkness. There's a global grief, a global depression that we are all navigating together. As we all seek to be safe, we seek to be healthy, we seek to be well. And we do that while we are longing for our world to return to normal, but really we long for a world that no longer exists because the normal that was is not the normal that will be. See, life in quarantine, life with a global pandemic, I don't need to say it, it's downright hard. It is so hard and sometimes so ugly and painful. And if we look at things right here, right now, and decide this is it, it'd be incredibly easy for you and I to lose hope. It'd be very easy. But with God in the picture, we have hope. We have a living hope. See, God takes the bad, God takes the broken, and he makes it beautiful. He makes it meaningful. He makes it purposeful. What's the beauty in this situation? What's the beauty to come out of this situation? Do you see it? If not, are you able to cultivate some? You see, beauty does not mean there will be no pain. Beauty doesn't mean that we won't have bad days. It doesn't mean you won't face incredible disappointment. It doesn't mean you won't face grief and hardship and anger and feel sadness and despair. Look at the early church. They experienced all of that and then some. They had no easy road. But God, God is the master creator with the creativity to create the universe, the stars. I mean, think of the most creative thing, the most beautiful thing and complex thing you can imagine. Sunset and an eagle soaring uh, through the sky, a roaring waterfall, the, the northern lights. What, what is something you consider to be just completely beautiful and complex and creative and extraordinary? Share it with us. Our God, he's the one that created that beauty. He's the one that created that. And our God, in his infinite creativity, he can take all your pain, all your grief, all your anger, 
your sadness, your despair, your anxieties, your anguish. And he can craft it into something beautiful. When we consider the excuse me, when we consider the persecution of the church, God took something that was very ugly, as ugly as people being killed for simply sharing with others the life and hope of Jesus. And he turned it into his mission moving forward, his mission expanding, his mission spreading. The mission of God cannot be stopped. And God took that persecution and transformed it and redeemed it into something beautiful. His word being spread, his love being shared, people being healed, lives being saved, the kingdom spreading. Consider Saul. He took Saul, one who, when we first read of him, he has witnessed, he has pleased at a brutal death of Stephen, God's disciple. Saul, who physically dragged women and men out of their homes and threw them in prison. Saul, who's described as the destroyer of the church. God looked at that man, a man who had hatred in his heart for God's people, and he said, I see beauty in there. There is something beautiful in there. I can do a work in this man, and I can do a work through this man. He sees Paul for who he is, or who he was meant to be. I know you, Paul. I know what you can do. So he meets him, he names him, he transforms him in the power in the name of Jesus. And Paul, this is the Paul we're talking about. Saul turned Paul who's responsible for so much church growth. Paul, who God used to write about 24% of the New Testament. God takes the broken and he gives it meaning. He doesn't waste it. He can make beauty out of it. He can transform it. He can and he does redeem it. And that is the church. And that is the world. It is broken, and yet it is beautiful. Let's consider ourselves, us. Look around you, where you are right now, physically, look around. And tell me, where are you right now? Say it out loud. Where are you? I'm at church. You maybe said, I'm in my living room, or I'm in my, my bed. Um... The reality is we're all scattered, but my answer is I'm at church. And today your answer is actually my answer. You right now are at church because we are the church. We may be scattered, but does the mission of God stop? No, absolutely not. We have been sent. And for some of you, when all of this hit, you may have thought there is no way our church can function without being together. That's it for us. There's no way. There's no way we can figure this out. But look at us now. And you know what? Live streaming for us, this is, this is here to stay. As long as it proves fruitful, when we are able to gather physically together, we're still going to live stream because how, how meaningful and purposeful is this to connect with people we otherwise have not connected with? And you see, we don't want to lose. When we are able to get back, we do not want to lose all the fruitful, good things that have happened and that we have gained during this season. There's beauty here. And can God redeem the situation we are in? 
Absolutely. Here's the reality. Our lives will forever be different because of this global experience. Our church will forever be different. We don't know yet what, uh, when we are going to be able to gather together, and we don't know what it's going to look like, but we do know it will not look the same as it did. And I want to prepare you. Out of necessity, it won't look the same as it did, simply because of how rapidly our world is changing. It will likely look different, still familiar, but different, just as it does right now. But even though this is different, this is us as the church, because our mission is the same. The way we go about it may have to change because of our times, but the mission remains the same, and the people of God are the church. So when we get back together, what does that even mean? I have no idea. We don't know yet. We won't know until it's here, but God knows and we can take comfort in that because if we seek him, if we trust him, if we hold on to things loosely, he will guide us forward into his future for us. And what I know is that it is going to be a good future for us. See, the church isn't a place, it's a people. And it's our, our mission, it's crystal clear to love, live, and lead like Jesus, which is really just our fancy way of summing up the Great Commission. So as we are scattered, as we all individually feel the harsh brokenness of this current situation, what do we do? How do we get through it? This is my encouragement to you today. What do we do to get through this current season we're in? We feel every ounce of sadness and anger and frustration that we need to feel. Don't hide from it. Don't deny it. Feel what you feel. Acknowledge it. Name it and own our losses. We grieve in this moment what our situation is and we long for it to be over. In fact, I encourage you to do that now if you're feeling so bold and I'd love for you to live into our value of being courageously authentic, publicly lament this reality. Call out right now, what are you feeling? What makes you mad right now? What is making you sad right now? What is it that you miss? What is it you long for? Name those things. But do we stop there? Mm -mm. No. No. Do we stay there? No. That is not our resting place because our faith is in a God who can redeem anything. So we can, at the same time, we can name and feel these things, also keep faith and have hope through it all. For we know it's not supposed to be this way. It is not supposed to be this way. God designed things uh, to be perfect in harmony with him where there was no pain, no sickness, no sorrow, no hurt, no loss, no tears. And when those things entered our world alongside of sin way back in the garden, he put his redemptive plan in place to make beauty out of the mess. That is why we call him the Redeemer. He redeems. He takes what was dead and brings it back to life. So feel and name all the bad, while at the same time trusting and holding on to hope that God is right now actively at work redeeming this.
and turning this into something beautiful, something meaningful, something purposeful. And in the meantime, God gives us glimpses of beauty as a sign of his creative work being done along the way. What are some of those signs of beauty that you are seeing right now? Those little reminders of the eternal hope that we have in God. Craig Rochelle, pastor, author, leader, says this. Posted this on Instagram this week, and I liked it, and I saw Heather liked it right on Heather. He, he wrote this. Just because you are disappointed doesn't mean you have to be discouraged. We feel disappointed. This is hard. We own it. We name it. This is disappointing. It can be discouraged, discouraging. But we don't have to be discouraged because our God always sends help. He will always encourage us. As it says in 2 Corinthians, we face conflict from every direction. With battles on the outside and fear on the inside. Paul's talking specifically about a circumstance he was in. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. See, God sent Titus to them, which brought them encouragement. God, who encourages those who are discouraged? Not God who will think about it, God who might encourage. No, God, it is in his who he is to encourage the discouraged, to draw close to the hurting, the brokenhearted, the weary, and the down and out. So, brothers and sisters, you and I may feel disappointed, but take heart. Be encouraged, for God takes the broken, he makes it beautiful, and he will make beauty out of this. He will redeem this. He will meet you where you are and bring you forward into his beauty. I firmly believe that. For we know, Jesus Christ says, this is our weekly reminder, has been in this season, in this time, in this world, you will have trouble. If we stopped there, be game over. Be game over. Doesn't stop there because Jesus goes on to say, but take heart, take heart, be encouraged. For I have overcome the world. I got this. I am in control. I will redeem all things. Praise be to God, for he is good. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you for who you are, for your love, for your grace your kindness, your compassion, your creativity, your caring spirit that is always with us. And Lord, as we consider the church, the early church and the persecution and someone such as Paul who was persecuting the church, that then you took that persecution and redeemed and you took a man, hatred in his heart, and you shifted it to love for your people and for you and your son, Jesus. We just give you thanks. We give you thanks that you're actively at work redeeming our lives right now. God, give us eyes to see you. 
Give us ears to hear you. Give us mouths to proclaim where we see you at work and hands to actively join in with your ministry of hope, healing, and reconciliation in this world. God, we lift before you our congregation today. We lift before you those who are mourning. We think of Loretta and the loss of her sister. Think of the prayer chain that went out this morning about Co Smith going to a, a assisted living home for care as her dementia has progressed. We lift them up to you, God. We lift up all the hurts and all the burdens and all the sorrows and the the, the loss that we have been experiencing and naming together, Lord, and we bring those to you today. We cast our cares on you for our burden, and you is light. So God, we pray that you meet us in that space, that you continue to care for your flock of Hope Church. And not just Hope Church, God, but, but for all your people. We pray that this opportunity allows your light to illuminate brightly and to spread greatly, just as that early church. May you use this time to reach those that have been hardened towards you. We even think in our own lives, God, the people that we think maybe are too far gone to be saved. And we confess, we confess that we sometimes feel that way. And we ask you, forgive us for that, for you, no one is ever too far gone for you. So God, we pray for those people. We pray for softening hearts around this world so that your love and your hope and the life found in you may be known greatly. Thank you for meeting us in this space. Continue to be gracious to us as you always are and help us be gracious to one another as we seek to love, live, and lead as you have called us to. We love you, God, and we pray all this in the power, name, and authority of Jesus Christ. Amen.